Thank you, Devin. Well, this morning we're going to be taking a break in our series in the book of Revelation, and we're going to be uh, speaking about uh, all ladies this morning. And as you're thinking about that, you saw the title in the outline this morning. If you haven't, then pull out your outline and look at it. Uh, I've uh, named this day All Ladies Day, and you're thinking, how, can, how, how come the pastor has the right to change Mother's Day into All Ladies Day? Well, I thought I might give a little bit of a defense for my, my move this morning. Number one is, there is no Mother's Day verse in the Bible that says the second Sunday in the month of May is Mother's Day. That's kind of a cultural thing, and there's nothing wrong with that, um, except in our home, every day is Mother's Day. But... Uh, uh, and then also recognize uh, this very plainly is that uh, we want to honor all the ladies today, not just uh, those in the, in the stage of being a mother. And so we wanted to push it that direction. And then thirdly is, uh, as you think about special days in the calendar, I mean, December 25th is Christmas, and who knows when Easter comes, but whatever day that is, it's Easter. And if you have a birthday... Does everyone have a birthday here? You know, whatever that date is, that's your birthday. But as you look at special days during the the week or a particular month, I, I went online, and, and actually not only are there certain days that have certain designations, but most days have multiple designations for their day. The first day of the month of May is called May Day, but I don't know if you know this, but it has some other things that you're supposed to honor on that particular day. For instance, you're supposed to Remember that it's law day for the lawyers in our midst. It's also make a book day. And that what you really want to understand and know this morning is May 1st is known as Mother Goose Day. Now, how many knew that? Okay, you, you now can say when you went home, I learned something at church today. May 1st is Mother Goose Day. And so most, most of the days have multiple uh, things you're supposed to do. For instance, on May 2nd, I'm sure most of you don't know this either. This has actually been designated as Tuba Day. Um, and then also Sibling Appreciation Day, which, which I rebuked my brother because he didn't send me a card on that day. I don't understand why that happened. May 3rd is Sunday as well as Kite Day. And then just looking at other special days, on May 4th, it's, it's World Laughter Day. So if you missed that, you've got a few more chuckles. You can do uh, whatever it might be. For those who are still students or have children that are in school or grandchildren in the school, don't tell them this, but May 6th is No Homework Day. Uh, May 9th is Peter Pan Day, and I thought I'd give you one day that you would all look forward to. Today is the 10th, which means tomorrow is the 11th. On May 11th, that day has been designated as Eat Whatever You Want Day. <laughs> no calories, no physical uh, changes in your body. Well, don't have that guarantee, but anyway. So days can be special if we make them special, and on this particular day, we're making this not only a day especially for our mothers, but also for all the ladies in our midst. And as we go down that path, um, we, we want to remember that there's, there's a lot of reasons why um, ladies are important because they do so many things that men uh, can't do or are able to do, and they make life more beautiful and more special. But I, I just want to make that the theme this morning, is all ladies are special. And I just wanted to begin by making some very simple observations out of God's Word that just by definition mean that ladies are special. It would also mean the other gender as well. But number one is you were created by Jesus. And Jesus doesn't do anything that's not worthwhile doing. And in Colossians 1.16 it says, For by Him all, and I guess you would be included in the 
help me out here, all, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So not only have you been created by him, brought into existence, you have a special purpose because it was through him for him that you were created. Same idea in John chapter 1, verse 3. And then secondly, you were died for by Jesus. Uh, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus in John 15, 13 made a commentary on just, just what demonstration or how powerful a demonstration this is in terms of someone loving another person. Greater love has no one than this that one would lay down his life for his friends. Of course, we know Jesus took the next level because he not only laid down his life for his friends, but also for his enemies in the sense of of those who had rebelled against him and also that whole whole classification of people who are sinners. Now, let me ask you, how how many are sinners here this morning? All right, so uh, he, he died for you. That means no matter how much you have done or have not done that that you aren't particularly proud about, Jesus still loves you. In fact, that's the heart of the gospel. And in fact, we, I don't want to go too far from here. A lot of times, preacher type people like me will, will kind of tack the gospel on the end and, and try to encourage people to make a decision. But you can make a decision at the beginning of the sermon. The, the whole message is that it's all about God. But God. And what's the but about? It's about that we're a, a messed up people. And when people are messed up, usually you run from that. I don't want to be a part of that. But God, but God loves us. But God, and not only does he love us, he demonstrates his love. It's one thing to, to say it with words, and it's another thing to say it with actions. But God demonstrates his love toward us. And then it even says why that love is so necessary in that while we were yet sinners far from God, because of our own desire to live for self rather than for the one who created us and made us and now is going to redeem us. And so this morning, if, if we need to understand, have you, have, you, have you ever met a perfect person? Okay. And, and even on Mother's Day, you know, have you ever met a perfect mother? And so all mothers need to know Jesus. All ladies need to know Jesus. And all men need to know Jesus. So I, I just want to lead us in a prayer. If, if, if for whatever reason you're here this morning and you're not sure where you are in relationship with the living God who loves you and sent his son Jesus to die for you, and you want to get in on what God offers through his son, then make a connection with Jesus by asking him to come into your life and forgive you of all your sins. Let's pray this morning. Dear Lord, as, as we begin this day in which we want to honor those whom honor is due, to, to tell all the ones here that they're special, particularly the ladies in our midst, we want us all to know that we all need to know you. And if someone is outside of Jesus at this moment, might they, they pray this very simple prayer and really meet it in their heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I want to know you. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and dying in my place and taking the penalty for my sin. Make me a new person on the inside. I want to follow you with all of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Well, this morning, as I mentioned to you, we're going to, and that's the most important commitment you can make in life. And as we think about Mother's Day and those decisions to be a mother and, and to be joined in marriage, those are important decisions. But the most important decision is getting right with your God. But as we think about it this morning, I want us to kind of broaden our view in terms of honoring um, women this morning. Because there are different stages in life. And some stages continue on. And so this morning I've entitled the message, All Ladies Day, Single, Married, and Mothers. And, and so this morning I want to begin, first of all, with the single ladies. And you can be a single because you've never been married, or you have been married and your, your lifelong spouse is gone, and you're in that stage of life, being a widow, uh, or other ways that have brought you to the point where you're no longer in the condition of having a life partner. And so I want to say even to you, single ladies are special. Now, I asked this in the first service. I kind of had a, a uh, we weren't on the street, but on the street interview. And I asked you, have you ever been in a setting where there were some particularly single ladies and they were at kind of that marrying age and what used to be the 20s is now the 30s. So that marrying age actually has extended itself. And in fact, it went way beyond. It's always been beyond the 20s and the 30s. But, but if you've ever been in a, a social setting where there were some ladies there and they, everyone knew that they weren't married and people began talking about them, not to them, but about them, but, and, and all of a sudden they, they made this statement, I wonder what is with them. Now help me fill in the blank. I wonder what is, you're just as bright as the first service, you know. Isn't that kind of the natural response or what, if they don't say it out loud, that's what they're thinking. I wonder what is wrong with them. Because they're not married. Now, the answer to that question, what is wrong with them, is what? Nothing. Say that a little bit louder. Nothing. Nothing is wrong with someone who is not married. In fact, the, the Bible says that, that people who are not married are, are, are special. In fact, there's a specific word used about that. In fact, the Bible says it is good if you are single. Whether you've been married or whether you are a widow. And you're thinking, well, where did I get that? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this morning, primarily, I'm not going to be digging something that's not there on the surface, but just making some observations from what God has just plainly said through his writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning at verse 6, we have the Apostle Paul talking about uh, people in a stage of life of either being single or married. And he says this, but this I say, verse 6 in, in 1 Corinthians 7, by the way of concession, not of command. And, and that's Paul saying, I'm going to give you a, a worldview or a perspective on thinking about uh, a life that maybe you haven't heard before. Now, as I say this, and I'm going to say it somewhat strongly because that's kind of the kind of prophet I am or the apostle I am. I say all, a lot of things strongly. And I want you to know, not that what I'm saying is not true, but it's not a command. Yet I wish, verse 7, that how many men? All men were even as I myself am, and Paul was single. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But then he says in verse 8, very plainly, But I say to the unmarried, and he now changes genders from the male to the female, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is what? Good for them if they remain even as I. So it's not reading of the Bible. It's simply reading the Bible. 
when the Bible talks about someone who is single, that it is what? It is good. It is good. And so if, if someone says it out loud in your presence, I wonder what's wrong with that person. They're not married. You could either say nothing. No, I don't mean you say nothing. You say it is nothing. There's nothing wrong. Or you can say, you know, really, it is good that they're not married. Now, of course, when I read something like that, I go, well, okay, okay, you said it's good, but how is it good? Well, he doesn't leave us in the dark because he goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32, and he says this, But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about things of the, of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And, and this I say, that your own, to your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promise that what is seeming and, and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Okay, so to answer the question, how is it good to be single... Uh, you could put it this way. Singleness has the possible advantage of more freedom and focus. Now, backing up the truck a little bit, he's not saying that marriage is wrong. He's not even saying that the majority of people will get married. But he's speaking to a, a, a part of the population there as well as uh, now, then and now, that there is a, there's a positive side to being single. Uh, I don't know about your home, but at my home, Alice wakes up every morning saying, what can I do to please Mike? Well, well she doesn't always say that, but she, she kind of lives that way in so many different ways. And, and so part of her responsibility to make sure I don't get lost or get in trouble or whatever it might be is, is to, to, to have a focus on, on some of my needs as well as some of her needs or, the, or what the Lord have her to do. And, and that's just that's just... That's just an obvious truth that sometimes we forget. There is an advantage of being single. Now, that's not for everyone. The vast majority of people will get married. But if they don't, there's nothing wrong with that. It is good. There is a focus and there is a freedom. Uh, My favorite human author, um, I said that because, well, that's alive, uh, is, uh, is my daughter. She just wrote a book recently and who's going to pick me up at the airport. And, and it's really a, it's, it's a book about uh, a person going through the single stage of life and wondering if something's wrong with her and, and how, she, how does she work with the, the variety of desires in her own heart to be married and yet and still live a life that has some meaning to it and, and going through all that stages. And she, she wrote a number of things I think that really speak about this because it's, it's one thing to say, well, okay, I could be more spiritual if I was single. I wouldn't have to care for my husband or the things around the house. I can just be gung-ho for Jesus. Well, okay, that sounds good, but that's not what I want. You know, I want to be happy. And so she writes in a variety of things. I'm just going to take a few excerpts. She says um, in, in her book, says, once I got rid of the idea that I needed marriage in order to be happy, I was freed up to make the life I wanted. I learned this lesson in the context of singleness. What's interesting is that 30, a few of my friends who got married young are, are learning the same lesson in the context of marriage. They got the husband, the house, and the kids, and they aren't happy. 
It's true whether you're single or married, other people and things aren't designed to play this role in our lives. You have to make the right choices to be happy. And that's going to look different for everyone. Let me put it this way. Do you know some people who are single that are unhappy? You can say yes in church. Okay, I'm not going to make you volunteer to work in the nursery today. Okay, it's yes. Right? You know some single people that are unhappy. Let me ask you, do you know some married people are unhappy? Yes, all right. And, and so it's not, this, it's not whether you're married or unmarried that makes you happy. There's got to be some other source that makes you happy on the inside no matter what you're going through. And that's what true happiness is. And happiness, I know, is tied to the word happenings. And so is that all based on circumstances? Well, the Bible uses both the word joy and blessedness, which could be translated happiness, based on that which is on the inside. And so Cindy writes, she, she says, you know, I've got to figure this out because I'm, I, can tell, I can see people in both, both stages not filled with happiness or joy. So there's got to be more to happiness than to simply getting what you want. And then let me put it more generally. Most of us, I mean, it's just natural thing. If I can get what I want, then I'm going to be a happy camper, right? We, if we get things we want, it's, it makes life better. Uh, um, and that pursuit is the challenge. But have you ever met someone who really desperately wanted something and then they got it and then it didn't make them what? Happy. And so we're convinced because God is the one who has made us that happiness comes from Him. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't want other things, and that could be a life partner or not. But happiness has to come on the inside and then flows on the outside. And so the challenges for the single, married, or those who have children is the same. Where does your source of joy come from? Where does your happiness come from? And let me just put it simply in an obscure verse referencing Jesus making a statement in the book of Acts. It's not found in the Gospels. But the Bible says, and it's it's counterintuitive. In other words, this is not how we normally think. The Bible said, and remember the word blessed means what? Happy. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so... So happiness comes from learning what God wants you to do and to be more than to have. And and, and so that's a whole paradigm shift, which means simply a different way to live, that joy is found in the Lord. And and that's why Paul said, you know, I tell you, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And he's in prison. Because his joy was in the Lord. Now, he wanted out of prison. There was nothing wrong wanting to be out of prison. And then in that particular prison, he did get out of it. But in the meantime, he said, I'm not going to let anything rob me of my joy. I'm not going to let anything rob me of my happiness. Doesn't mean I don't have other desires, other needs. But in the stage I'm in, I'm going to try to control the things I can control. And the things that are out of my control, I'm going to learn to be content and find my joy in him. Now, that's, that's the challenge of life, isn't it? That's the challenge of life. And, and, and that's why it is, it is still a blessedness. It is still special whether you're single or whether you're in a marriage relationship. It can be good, and you can have freedom and focus and find that your joy is in the Lord. Um, I'm going to paraphrase some other things I was going to share with you that 
that Cindy wrote. She, she has a comment from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is kind of a favorite um, writer of many. And he said, you know, I used to think that falling in love was the greatest thing in life. But, you know, as I began looking at this, there are some things far below falling in love, but there's a few things above it. And it was the same idea here. You can even be in love with the right partner and not be happy if you're not living out your intended purpose that God has for you. Cindy writes in that book, she says, you know, I, I came to realize that, that I had to decide how I could be a blessing to others in this single stage, not waiting for when that arrived to start my life. Is my life is right now, and my life right now can be satisfied by the one who, who never leaves me, <laughs> who will never promise to pick me up at the airport and not show up, who will make promises they cannot keep, who will pretend like they're listening. And Does that ever happen in marriage, where you kind of pretend like you're... I'm watching the game. Can you just wait till the game's over? You know, I, I mean, pretend to listen and, and, and not listen. He's the one that always listens. So joy is found in the Lord. Happiness is found in the Lord. So it can be good when you're single. There can be some advantages to being single. And single being single is okay. And you're still special. Secondly, now I've got to start moving. The other stage of life is a person could be, could be married but be childless. Now, there isn't as much stigma um, today upon that. But in centuries, the, the vast, uh, vast scope of history, that if, if a, a, a woman was married and could not bear children, then again, there was a film of light. There must be something, what? Wrong with her. And the answer to that, again, is there's, there is nothing wrong with her. Because the Bible says that the Lord closes or opens up the womb. And, and you still can be special if you are married and never have a child. Uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, and have I told you i got a grandchild? Okay. Um, and her name is what? Hannah, Hannah Grace. Well, we're not going to be talking about a little child here this morning, but we're going to be talking about the mother who brought forth Samuel, uh, by which the, the book is named. And, and in it, we're just going to read a kind of a bizarre story about Hannah's life before she had a child. Okay? Uh, those who are childless, in fact, uh, I have to be careful about just telling stories. My, my, most of you know that my wife was adopted. Okay? And then she was adopted into a home in which... Uh, part of the motivation for adoption was uh, they couldn't bear children. And then four years later, her sister popped out, okay? And, and so sometimes people who are childless later on are able to, to have children. And that was the experience of Hannah. That's not necessarily the experience of others. Sometimes people are childless and they never are able to bear a child. And again, significance uh, comes not from, from what we do, but from who we are. And so we're going to see just some very simple observations here. Uh, there's some names here. I'm just going to say rapidly, and you're going to think I know how to pronounce them, but I'm just saying them rapidly, all right? First Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now there was a certain man from the Ramathem Sophim, from the hill country Ephrathim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoiakim, the son of Elhu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, 
The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, uh, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. And i got to just say this in case you sent me an email. Why in the world did Elkanah have uh, two wives? And, and we need to realize that what God allows isn't necessarily what God desires. And those who broke God's pattern or, or uh, faith lessons would experience the consequences from that. And what we're going to see is fighting between these two wives. It would have been much better that he obeyed God's a command and have one wife. But he had two wives. He, God had allowed this. And, and here we have the experience, verse, verse 3. Now this man would go up from the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord there. When the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Now, implied in this, if, if you were to ask Elkanah, who was your favorite wife, he would say what? He would say Hannah. And you're thinking, how can that be? Because those who were able to bear children, to bear sons to the husband, to the father, were, were, was considered blessed. But, but I think there's a simple, simple lesson we have here. And, and the simple lesson is that you can um, be known as special because you are loved just for who you are. And that day, again, it was almost the number one responsibility of a wife is, was to bear children. And Hannah could not. God had closed her womb, and yet she was loved by her husband. And people who are loved in this world are rich and special. Uh, there's also another this simple observation we could get from this passage as well. In verse 6 it says, Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And so she was getting criticism from the other wife. She was being told constantly, there must be something wrong with you. It must be your sin or the sins of your parents or the sin, something you've done in secret and God has brought judgment upon your womb. And so she was hearing this over and over and over again. Verse 7, And it happened year after year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her and she wept and would not eat. And so there, it brought her to the point in terms of this this irritation with the other wife that, that she, she lost sleep and she lost uh, the ability to eat. And then verse 8, Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat and why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Now, I, I, my simple observation of this is, is that not only can you be loved just for who you are, even if you're without children, but you can bring significance to others even being childless. Now, the reason I put it this way is because when, when, when Elkanah told Hannah uh, and actually pleaded with her, aren't I better to you than ten sons? A, a, a father in that day who had ten sons was considered blessed. But he just longed for the significance of knowing that Hannah brought value to his life. And that's why he loved her. 
And whenever our lives can impact another, that as they look at other things they could have in this world and they mean nothing to them compared to your affections, that means you've got to be pretty special. And so Hannah brought significance to Elkanah simply because of who she was. Uh, just, a, just a side note, you know, my, uh, my, all my kids around my house were now empty nesters, at least, at, least to, at least at this minute. They might move back pretty soon. But anyway, you know, where they're at, you know, we're, we're empty nesters. And so sometimes when Alice is at the house and she's kind of longing to spend time with her kids, I say, well, aren't I better to you than four children? She's not sure how to answer that question. But, uh, but you know, men get significance from wives who, who love them. And, and that's, that's the story of, of one who was married but without child. And that was before she had a child. Now, quickly. And this is the, the normal thing for Mother's Day. Where we focus just on those who have brought lives into this world. Not only are single people, single ladies special, not only uh, married ladies who have no children special, but also mothers are special. And there's some obvious things that we, you've probably heard many times before. Number one, what, what, what do we know about mothers? Mothers uh, are special because they're deserving of honor. It's found in the Old Testament uh, rendition of as well, but the Ten Commandments in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, it, it quotes one of the commandments and says, Honor your father and your mother. And then it goes on and says, you know, th- this is a unique commandment because it's one with a promise. And he's speaking to the children here. They are to obey their parents. He said, and you are to honor them because then your life will live long. And, and so there is, there is one glaring, obvious point in the job description of a child is to honor those who brought you into this world and particularly honor your, your mothers. Secondly, mothers are special not only because they're deserving of honor, but secondly, they have a great responsibility. Uh, the, the second reference is a wrong reference, so I won't even turn to it. But Proverbs 22, 6 says this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And, and that's not a blanket promise. You can be a great mother and your children go astray. But the, the, the reality is if, if you pour your life into your children, uh, they will gain all the lessons you've desired for from your heart to their heart, and it'll make an impact on their lives. And, and there is no higher calling to that. In fact, uh, we're going to see at the end there is that God has uniquely given mothers the right to have the, the biggest imprint on the lives of, of those who are in the home. And so it's a great responsibility. It's not an easy one. I was reading um, this past week about uh, um, just the different challenges that mothers have. Uh, one of the challenges what is that uh, they, they hear... Uh, a lot of questions during the day. Have you noticed that? In fact, they were doing a survey, a thousand mothers in the UK, and they said that that uh, they get a, that a, a, the typical mother gets a question every two minutes and thirty six seconds. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound that bad. Well, no, I guess that would be quite a few questions. In fact, they added it up in a year's period of time. That would be one hundred five thousand one hundred twenty questions during a year. And, and these are the very profound questions, the ones you, you make sure you go to college so you can answer them, like, why is water wet? Okay. Um, why, do, why do fish, how can fish breathe underwater? You know, those kind of things where you go, uh, I have no idea. You know, why is the sky blue? Yeah, but, but mothers have to learn to be patient because that's what they're going to receive. Question after question after question. 
It said that the four-year-old girls are the ones that ask the most questions, and nine-year-old boys don't ask any questions. <laughs> and the other, other thing I was, I was reading about, it said that uh, mothers have to learn to multitask. And, and there's a debate about whether multitasking is effective, but they say mothers have to multitask because there's always more things than one happening at any particular period of time. And it says about mothers that actually because of their responsibility and role as a mother, and we could add their grandmothers, all those uh, in that role, is that uh, their, their capacity to multitask during the child-raising years can actually double in terms of their ability to multitask. They did a similar study with men. They found out men are hopeless. We didn't learn how to multitask at all. Uh, but mothers have an almost impossible job. Uh, that's why they're deserving of honor and they have great responsibility. Thirdly, uh, you are called to love. There is no greater calling than to call to love. It says in uh, Titus 2.4, uh, so that this is the, the older women t- teaching the younger women, so that you may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. If, if you forget what you're supposed to be doing, just simply remember this. That child that you've brought into this, this world or the one that has come into your responsibility, whether through adoption or or for whatever reason, your call is to love that child. And if you do have a, a spouse at home, uh, the best thing to do to give security to that child is to love the father of that child, to love your husband and create a secure environment in your home. And then fourthly, uh, you can leave a spiritual heritage. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. Paul's talking to Timothy, and he says this, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that is in you as well. And that basically just kind of gives you a, 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 a direction to say, well, how did this all happen where Timothy was, was able to come to faith and then become one of the, the people that Paul mentored who then became a pastor of the church and one that, that even two books in the Bible are, are even written to. It, because it began with a grandmother and then it was imparted to a mother and that mother imparted that to her child. So mothers are special because they're deserving of honor. They have great responsibility. They have a high calling to love. And then thir- fourthly, they can leave a spiritual heritage. So what do I want to leave you this morning as we close? Uh, This is a question. uh, I'm going to give you two questions. I only gave the first service one question because they aren't as sharp as you are. Or I forgot one of the questions. (laughs) Here's here's the first question. The first question is this. And this is particularly given to the ladies. Are, Are you seeing yourself as special? Are you seeing yourself as special? And, and, and I know that's a, it's a daily battle. It can be today, and you think, well, that's easy. I'm special. And then tomorrow well, you might wake up, and there's a variety of reasons why you might say, you know, I ought to just give up. You know, what, what, am I helping anybody? Am I here for any purpose? Look, at you are special. No matter what stage of life you're in, single because you've never been married. Oh, there's interesting statistics about that. Um, we, we live in a time where that pressure is even more so. Right now, they say um, 20% of people 25 and older have never been married. You think, well, 20%. What, I don't, uh, well, in 1960, that percent was 9%. Only 9% of people 25 and older were not married. Now it's 20%. And 
And actually, it's more men not married than women. It's 23% to 17%, but that's going to split pretty soon. It used to be that there were 131 eligible bachelors for every 100 women. In other words, women you could at least pick a little bit, all right? Well, now it's, it's 91 eligible bachelors for every 100 women. And so, you know, I, I wish I could say to everyone who wants to get married, you're going to get married. And I had a very tender conversation with my, my, my daughter about this. But I can tell you, no matter what stage of life you're in, your life can be filled with blessedness, joy, meaning, and purpose. Because you are special. And God can provide from all kinds of places and sources to meet a need that you desperately want. But no matter what comes down, you are still special. You have purpose and meaning, and you can have a blessed, joyful life. So I don't say this glibly. Every day, women, you need to come up and say, I am special. And the question that I did give the first service, because I forgot the first one, even though it was written down here, I couldn't find my notes, and I hardly ever look at my notes, so I that's, couldn't, couldn't remember it, is that, is that what are we doing to make ladies and women special? Because the Bible says we ought to give honor to whom honor is due. They deserve honor. So don't let's not be like the world. Sometimes look at women as only objects. But let, them, let us always see them as special and treat them that way. Let's pray. By your word speaks to where we live and how we live and and it speaks about how your presence is always there even when life doesn't seem to be turning out like we would envision or desire. But Father, I, I, we want to acknowledge that, that your, your plan is always the best and your love is always present and your strength is always available. And Father, there's so many people around us that we can be blessed by giving to. And Father, might everyone here leave this place with a sense of direction, but even more than that, a, a sense of the value that you've imparted into their life because you have made them and redeemed them by the hand and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this morning. And